Well, hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Travis Grant, and whether you are here in person today or you're watching online, I want you to, to know just how honored and excited I am to be with you this morning. So we are in the fourth week of our favorite series where five different speakers are bringing you some of their favorite stories from the Bible and bringing the lessons that they teach us. If you have not yet listened to any of the stories you've missed any from the last three weeks, then I highly encourage you to go to our website or our podcast later this week when you have time and check those out. But here's a quick recap of the last three weeks. So in the first week, we had Chris Genders come and share the story of how John the Baptist lowered himself in the midst of his own followers to make room for Jesus to shine. In week two, we had Pastor Paul come up and preach and share the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis, highlighting how we can learn to take a godly perspective in spite of life's most difficult challenges. Last week, we had a special guest, Megan Peterson, come. She shared the story of the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, as told in the book of Luke, and how that story reveals the truth that Jesus extends forgiveness to all who choose to receive it. And today, I am going to share with you one of my absolute favorite stories from the Old Testament. It's the story of David and Goliath, and I'm going to do my best to help show how this story illustrates what a life looks like when it's transformed by God. So whether you are familiar with this story because you heard it in Sunday school growing up, or through pop culture, or you're hearing it for the very first time today, I hope that by the end of this sermon that you will see some of the things that this story tells us about God and our relationship with him. Ultimately, this story teaches us, teaches us that our identity is determined by who or what we put our faith in, and the consequences of making that decision are life-changing. But before I get into the story, before I begin unpacking, I want to share um, a brief story from my own life um, and how I've kind of gotten here to this stage right just now. Um, so for those who don't know, this is actually my first time preaching from this stage, and I'm, I'll be honest, I'm pretty nervous. <laughs> uh, how I managed to make my way up here can only be described and explained by the active work and grace of God. So in 2017, shortly after my wife Julie and I got married, we began seeking out churches and we found our way here. When we first started attending, I made it a point to sit as far back in the back row from the stage as possible and as close to the exit as possible. My goal was to come in hear the sermon, soak it up, and leave without being noticed or having to talk to anyone because being an introvert by nature, this was just what was most comfortable for me. So you guys back there, I see you, and this sermon, <laughs> the sermon is for you mostly. Okay. <clears throat> at, this, at that stage in my life, I was still fairly naive about uh, the way that God chooses to work in people. But coming to this church, I made a vow that I would make a genuine effort to grow in my faith um, as we started attending. It's funny, though, just how naive I was. So Julie and I are big fans of uh, Fixer Upper shows, like Fixer Upper and Hometown. So at that stage of my life, I really believed that I was just going to come and, like, all I needed in my life was, like, a fresh coat of paint. But what I didn't know is, like, God was about to come in like Joanna Gaines and just start knocking down walls and finding all the old shiplap that needed to be restored. So... Um, when I came to Great Oaks, I kept hearing about all these different opportunities to take my next steps toward God. So I would hear the pastors come up here, and they would say things like, hey, come sign up for one of our classes, or learn how you can be on a serve team, 
or consider joining a life group. And so I would hear these things, and at first I was reluctant. I honestly, I had no desire to meet or interact with new people, especially the people at that point in my life that I labeled these churchy people. But God was about to show me just how wrong I was about all that too. So I was pretty comfortable inside my own personal bubble, but I also had this surreal feeling that God was trying to do more in me at that point. I was not thrilled about stepping outside my comfort zone, but I could sense God was inviting me to walk through certain doors as long as I could begin taking those initial steps towards him. And so by the end of that year, it's really difficult to describe like what happened, but by the end of that year, I had attended every single Sunday service for about six months, which prior to that, like I had never gone to like four consecutive church services growing up. Um, I had taken every class that was offered at Great Oaks. Um, eventually, I was invited to serve um, with the online church team, which was like brand new in 2018. What's interesting about that is like God knew I was too nervous to share my faith and talk about the Bible in person with people. So he gave me this opportunity to do it through a screen, which is, I guess, how God works. That same year, my wife and I, Julie, we tried out the whole life group thing. And, and this was perhaps the biggest jump outside of my comfort zone. So my expectation of a life group was going to someone's house with, where just a bunch of church people who knew the Bible backwards and forwards, basically had life all figured out, would come and just talk about the Bible. Like, that was my expectation. But within a few short minutes, it became quite evident that every single person in that group was trying to figure out, just as much as I was, how to live life as a Christian. Nobody had it completely figured out. Everyone was trying their best to get through the work week, put food on the table, keep their kids alive, and do all they could to get this life right by God's grace. Everyone had questions about the Bible. Everyone had struggles with temptation. But everyone also had a legitimate eagerness to learn and listen and love. And because of that, the discussions were rich and authentic and refreshing. And by the end of that first night, I found myself opening up to people who were basically strangers to me. By the end of the month, I found myself making genuine connections with others. I was concerned about what was happening in their life. I was praying for them. I was checking in on them, in on them throughout the week, and I was excited to get together with them each week. I had no desire whatsoever to join a life group at first, and yet God knew that the genuine connectedness that life group brings was exactly what was missing in my life at that point. And I'm going to say this. You extroverts will truly never understand like, what kind of miracle that is to get me to go to life group. So along the way, God continued to stir in my heart and to read and study the Bible. And by the end of that year, Julie and I were baptized up here on this stage, and we were also asked to lead our own life group. So thank you. So these are, these are two things that like, I never originally set out to do or had any like, imagination that I was capable or worthy of doing those things. So it's just crazy how God works. So those of you who have been tending Great Oaks you know, for the last few years will eventually know that I was asked to come on staff as the first pastoral resident. As I tell this story right now, I'm, I'm going to guess that some of you are thinking that I'm actually Kyle, <laughs> but Kyle's back there doing sound. So I, he's the most recent pastoral resident. I was the first pastoral resident. So I was the original and pioneering church resident, and I'm pretty sure Kyle only later grew out his red beard to follow in my footsteps. So, But anyway, while I was on staff, like, I was blessed with so many opportunities by this church to watch 
and learn from some exceptional God-honoring men and women. And I met so many different people inside and outside this, this church. It was truly amazing. It is difficult to describe just how much of an impact that this time in my life shaped me. Like to say it is a blessing is, is really putting it lightly. So I served in that capacity for about 18 months before ultimately making the decision to step down so I could complete my master's degree in counseling, which I had delayed completing while I was on staff here. So shortly after receiving that degree, in the midst of COVID, I was hired on to be a school counselor at the high school that I actually attended as a teenager. In this weird twist of fate, and that's how God works, he opened yet another door that I had no plans of pursuing. And now I help build God's kingdom in the community in which I grew up in and so desperately tried to, to run away from in my past. And so I share that testimony for, for three reasons. First, for those of you who have been involved in my life at some capacity here at Great Oaks over the last few years, and all that we have gone through as a church, I wanted you to know that I'm still here and I'm truly thankful to call this church my home. Second, because I believe in the mission here at Great Oaks. I think it's easy to be cynical and think that the opportunities that are offered through a church like Great Oaks are to the benefit of the church and those who work here. But I am living proof that something special can happen inside a person if you simply make a decision to come and see and make a commitment to walk with the Lord one step at a time. So hear me with genuineness when I say that your next steps could be the world of difference, not just in your life, but for those around you as well. And third, because my testimony is just one story among countless others that highlight how a person's identity can change when they commit their life to Jesus. And so the story of David and Goliath offers the same sort of message, but it is perfectly crafted by the Holy Spirit to make some deeper takeaways on how we can discover our true identity in Jesus. And so my hope today is that unpacking this story that we will shine some light on the truth, unlock some wisdom, and hopefully you'll be filled with hope to be prompted to take your, those next steps towards God wherever you are in that walk. So as a school counselor, one of the greatest issues I see plaguing today's students is their misguided sense of what their identity is. And I'm not talking about the issues that are making news right now are being spread on social media that can be divisive. I'm talking about something that's much more expansive than that. And here's the thing. It's, it's not just teenagers that are struggling with identity. It's, it's really all of us. And so I see it affecting so many people inside and outside the church. And in my opinion, it helps explain why the world is such a mess at this moment. It's also why my heart was led to unpack today's story through this lens of identity. If there is one thing you leave here with today, I hope it is this one overriding point that I'm going to make this morning. And that is that our identity is determined by whether or not we choose to be known by God. David and Goliath is not a story about how awesome David is. It's about how awesome God is. The Bible is filled with stories of extraordinary men and women. But what makes these people extraordinary is their belief and commitment to God. They are perfectly normal people just like all of us here in this room and listening online. But God does amazing things through the people who choose to identify in him. One of the great truths that the Bible reveals is that once a person identifies in Jesus, everything in their life begins to change. The way that we see the world changes. The way that we see and speak to other people. 
the way we ask questions, solve problems, decide what is needed or not needed in this lifetime, it all changes when we make our identity more about the person of Jesus and less about ourselves. So if you are someone who is struggling with how you fit into the world or feel like God is distant or is not listening, please pay attention. The reality is that God desires not only to know you, but he wants to use you for his purposes. Until you allow yourself to begin seeing this life as God intends you to see it, you're going to miss out on the impact he desires for your life to have on the world. In just a moment, we're going to begin unpacking this, the David and Goliath story. And as we do, I want you to see the ways in which this text helps us show how David himself identifies as a servant of God beyond all other things. Everyone else in this story misses out on the plans God has for them because they all fail to put their identity in God. But most of all, we're going to look at the ways that we can use this story to help us see secondhand what it looks like to discover our identity using David as an example. If you're following along in your Bible or using the Bible app on your phone, you can flip to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. It's the ninth book in the Old Testament. And we're going to be in the bulk of the story is in chapter 17. If you're not using your Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. Um, Because this chapter is 58 verses, and I want to spare you guys, I'm going to be paraphrasing a lot of this, but I am going to highlight some key verses to make um, four main takeaways. So before we get into the story, let me provide some context to help kind of set this story up. So Israel is at war with the Philistine army, and they are currently at a stalemate. The two armies have set up camp on opposite sides of an area known as the Valley of Elah. Due to the layout of the land, both sides know their armies will become sitting ducks the moment they march forward into the valley. So to prevent being wiped out, they both strategically set up camp and buy time to come up with a plan. So the Israelites are led by their king, who is King Saul. And King Saul is often an overlooked character in the story, but, as, but to ignore him is to overlook his significance and miss some of the great takeaways that this story reveals. What we're going to see is King Saul's decisions as king further reveal how David's commitment to God just shows how much more he identifies as God's servant. For now, though, here's what we need to know about King Saul. So Saul is Israel's first king. So up until this point in the Bible, the Israelites did not have a king to rule over them. However, in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, we read how the Israelites begged God to be like the other nations and give them a king to rule over them. So in the next two chapters, we get this really interesting take that shows how Saul is ultimately chosen to be Israel's first king because essentially he looks the part when compared to all the other other Israelites. At first, Saul seems like a well-intended and humble king, but this doesn't last long. After winning a few battles, Saul becomes more and more prideful and develops a quiet arrogance about himself. He foolishly believes that the victories that he's winning are a result of his cunningness and his skill. But not only that, he starts just to begin to outright defy God's direct orders. And so foolishly, Saul tries to play the system and make sacrifices to God to atone for his disobedience, believing that's going to make everything right. But instead, this just further upsets God, and it costs Saul severely. If you read in chapter 15, you'll see how God eventually rejects Saul as king. So God's spirit, who had been on Saul and empowered him to all his success as king, 
departs from him in chapter 15. This ultimately leaves Saul broken, bitter, and fearful about what's going to happen to him and his kingdom. So this fear is made even further known when the Philistine army finally makes a decision. They send Goliath to confront Saul and his army. So rather than send their entire army to fight and get wiped out, the Philistines instead, they send Goliath to the middle of the valley. And each morning, Goliath would walk out to the valley and he would begin to challenge King Saul and the rest of the Israelites to battle. And what he was doing is he was saying, send your fiercest warrior, your best warrior, your best champion, and the two of us will fight to the death. And whoever wins will claim victory over the other and will will inherit this land and the other's army. A few things that, that this text about Goliath highlights. So first, it spends a lot of time focusing on just his physical characteristics and the details about his armor and the size of his weapons. So this is done evidently to magnify just the enormous stature and sheer physical strength of, of Goliath and just to show just how terrified everybody was by the sight of him. Second, the text highlights just how gifted Goliath was as a trash talker. So if you know the type, if you're like me and you play pickup basketball or sports, you just know there are certain people that just know how to get under your skin. Well, Goliath was the king at this. And so for 40 days, he had walked out each morning, hurled insults towards Saul and his, and his army, and just psychologically paralyzed an entire nation. So this goes on for 40 days before David finally shows up and witnesses Goliath do this for the first time. And so starting in in verse 20 in chapter 17, we're going to begin reading from the text and unpacking it. So early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out, as Jesse, David's father, had directed him. He reached the camp as the army was going going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to battle, to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So we're going to skip ahead to verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and remove this disgrace from Israel? Who was this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So as we start to unpack David's story, I want to make my first main takeaway, which is we discover our identity when we face challenges that others avoid. Two things to note from the passage we just read. First, David does not show up to the battle looking for a fight. There's a strong message in the world today that prompts us to go out in search of our own personal ambitions, whatever those might be in order to become the best or truest version of ourselves. But the Bible contains a different message. David's rise to prosperity and power as king of Israel does not happen because he sets out for it. It happens because he listens to God and obeys him. Second, David's response to Goliath is different from everyone else's in Saul's army. Rather than cower in fear, David starts asking questions. He asked, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is not asking his questions, searching for more details about Goliath so that he can size him up and decide if he has a chance of defeating Goliath. 
What David wants to know is why Goliath has been allowed to hurl insults toward God's chosen people, the Israelites, for the last 40 days, and no one's done anything about it. David is searching for someone who is going to stand up to Goliath and do something about him. So when no one makes any notion that they will stand up and face Goliath, David, this young shepherd boy with no military experience, decides that he's going to stand up and face the challenge that everyone else is avoiding. And so his response leads us to my second main takeaway from this text, which is we discover our identity when we act in faith and not in ignorance, or arrogance, excuse me. Follow along with me as I pick up again in verse 32. So David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip past the next five verses. But in those five verses, we have David describing how when he was a shepherd, there would be lions and bears that would come and try to take the sheep. And in those moments, God had saved him and allowed him to kill the lion and bear. And so he makes this case to Saul that just like God saved me then, he's going to save me from Goliath. So there's no reason to be scared. So eventually, God relents and he agrees to let David fight, which is just amazing in my opinion. And he says this back in verse 38. He says, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. He said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. So I I love this conversation between David and Saul for a few reasons. First, because as you read this story, you get the sense that God has divinely created this appointment, this meeting between these two men who will both end up representing Israel as king. In these passages, you can clearly see just how differently Saul and David are viewing in their present circumstances. David, who has never fought any sort of battle, is coming to Saul saying, don't lose heart because I will go and fight Goliath. As I read this, I often wonder, like, what type of immediate reaction does Saul have in this moment? The text doesn't give us a lot, but I'm like, does he laugh out loud, like, believing that David is just that ignorant and foolish? And if so, like, how long before he changes his mind and starts to take David seriously? I think what I probably believe is a a better interpretation or what I take from this is that Saul is actually filled with even more fear as he looks on at David as they have this conversation because Saul begins to see God's presence in David and for a man who had already lost God's spirit and was scared of losing all that came with being king he probably starts to realize in that moment that his time is up and that David's going to replace him regardless though this conversation between Saul and David reveals clearly how different a life identified by God looks from one outside of God. And so where David acts in faith, Saul acts out of arrogance and fear. There's even imagery just in how Saul's armor is handled. So David rejects the armor. He he casts it away. And I don't think it's necessarily because it doesn't fit him physically, but I also think there's something between the lines that it just doesn't, it's a burden on him spiritually. It's just getting in the way of what God is calling him to do. And so he he just removes it. 
All this sets up my third takeaway, which is that we discover identity when we realize victory depends on God and not us. So read with me as we pick up at verse 41 and we finish the story out. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bare in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come with me at sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And I think this is where in the story this gets really awesome. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching to his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. I want you, that just is awesome, but I want you to, for imagine, just, just imagine, just like watching this scene from the, the camps that the armies are in, and just picture like what's happening. Like jaws wide open in disbelief as everyone just witnessed what the seemingly ordinary shepherd boy with no sword just did. He just slayed like the mightiest giant anyone's ever seen. And not only that, he did it with like such boldness and confidence. Like they must be asking themselves in this moment, like what on earth did we just witness? Like how did this just happen? Who on earth is this boy? And where did he even come from? So I like how Christian author and pastor Paul David Tripp says this about wise people. He says wise people are not the people with the right answers. He says they are the people with the right questions because you cannot get the right answers if you're not asking the right questions. And so it's interesting to know how different the questions look in this story depending on who is asking them. If you go back and look at how Goliath asked some questions in verse 43, he says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? In other words, Goliath is asking, is this a joke? Do you know that I am a warrior? But I'm not even just any warrior. I am the warrior. I'm Goliath. I'm the most ferocious and feared champion in existence. How dare you insult me by sending this boy with a shepherd's staff? Or look how Saul, back in verse 33, asked some questions to David. He says, you were not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You were only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. And so perhaps these aren't phrased as direct questions, but can you, can you picture, can you hear how he's just asking questions underneath that? He's saying, how do you, David, a young man with no skill in battle, expect to defeat that warrior over there, Goliath, who's been a warrior since his youth? Compare how those questions are framed against David's questions in the story that we already talked about. David's saying, though, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine or removes this disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
In other words, he's saying, if Saul is promising all these rewards to the one who defeats this giant, who defies our God, then why is no one doing anything about this? And then later he says, you come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. In other words, God, in other words, he's saying, God has already decided that I am going to win this battle and my victory is going to show just how awesome my God is. And so if you're reading this text and making connections and you can clearly see that those who discover their identity in God recognize that anything they achieve is not due to their greatness, but it's due to God's greatness. And so this brings me to my final takeaway, which is that we discover our identity when we allow God to shape our heart. For those of you who know this story well, you'll know that David was already chosen. He was already anointed to be the next king of Israel in chapter 16. So in that pivotal scene, you've got God sending his prophet Samuel to the town of Bethlehem to seek out David and anoint him. But God does not reveal to Samuel at that time who he's looking for. He just tells him to go and find one of the sons of Jesse. And so when he arrives, he begins to mistakenly suspect that God is still looking for this physical specimen that's going to replace Saul. But God corrects him. And there's a popular verse in chapter 16, verse 7, that says, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so I think it's easier to read this verse in this passage, in this chapter, and think that there was something special about David which led God to choose him. But I think that this passage instead is showing us how God is bestowing his heart onto David. The thing that makes David special or unique among everyone else in this story is that David was, re- was prepared to receive God's heart while everyone else was missing it. Why do I think this? Because in chapter 13, God had some harsh words for Saul. He says this. He says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. The biggest difference between David and everyone else is that David actively makes the decision to seek God's heart. Think about this. God could have defeated Goliath and the Philistine army any way he wanted. But he was working something much bigger in David's life that's ultimately going to reveal God's promises that will later be fulfilled when his son, Jesus Christ, comes to earth to redeem us. If you do not know the rest of David's story that well, then I encourage you to read through the rest of 1 Samuel and see what happens after he defeats Goliath. David goes on to do some amazing things. He wins a bunch more battles, but he's only victorious because he maintains his commitment to seeking God's heart throughout it. This one battle with Goliath was just the beginning of what God had in store for David, but it would not have happened had he not put his faith and identity in God and made those initial steps toward him. So as we close, I don't know where most of you are right now in your walk with the Lord, but in just a moment, 
We are going to pray, and I want you to know that your prayers are heard no matter where you are. One of the great revelations of the story of David and Goliath is that the reality that every single person in this room or listening online is capable of following David's example by making the decision to humble themselves and seek after God's heart. Perhaps there are some here or listening who might identify closely with Goliath. If this is you, I pray that Goliath's plight might soften your heart and help you reconsider the reality that something bigger and more dangerous than you care to realize might just be a stone's throw away. Even if you have been an outright enemy to God, he still desires to know you and love you. If this is you, then God is simply waiting for you to repent and allow enough humility in your heart to let him in. And I pray today that this will be that day for you. If you find yourself identifying more like Saul and you are paralyzed in fear, please hear me out that God desires to rescue you as much as he's rescued anyone else in the world. If you feel like God has abandoned you, please do not give up praying. I don't know what you are going through right now, but I know that there is nothing that the God of heaven and earth cannot conquer if he decides to. Through the process of praying, please take some time to listen for God's voice as he works to answer the prayers that you're making. It's possible he's already speaking to you, trying to navigate you back to the place he's designed for you. But like Saul, you're too focused on Goliath to see the solution at hand. I pray for you that today you can hear, or I'm sorry, I pray that you can lay your armor down in spite of your fears and find faith in God as he leads you back to him. Or perhaps there are some here among us who are simply just crushing it in the faith department like David was. Somewhere along the way, you determined God chose you for something bigger than yourself and you've been committed to that ever since. If this is you, then I want to praise you because I know that the road you're on is a difficult one. I pray that you keep your heart aligned with God's will as, as more and more battles will come your way. I also pray that you choose not to allow God's blessings to stop with you. As you continue to take those next steps towards God, I encourage you to bring people along with you so that God's church has not just one or two Davids to fight his battles, but has an army of Davids. And lastly, there might be some among us who identify with my story. And you get this sense that God is calling you for more, but you don't yet know what that really means. My prayer for you is that that you pursue that feeling as earnestly as you can, because I know the types of blessings that await you if you do. I'm not promising life will be easier or that God's going to grant all of your wishes, but God will begin to reveal how he sees you if you allow him to. Whatever Whatever camp you fall in today, please know that I am praying for you along with so many others in this church. At this time, we have prayer workers who are going to be on both sides of this room who would love nothing more than to meet with you, pray with you as we close in worship. No matter who you are or how you identify, you simply need to call out to God and he will listen. At this time, I want to ask you bow your heads and close out with me in prayer. Father in heaven, I just want to just give you so much thanks and praise just for this opportunity to come before the church and just speak about your truth 
and what you can do in a life when we make the decision to humbly follow you. Father, for those who are listening today, who have never made the decision to give their life to you, Lord, I pray that you would just stir in their hearts as you stirred in David, the commitment to seek you out and find you, Lord. For those right now who are terrified about just what's happening in the world, what's happening in their everyday life, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that you would help just ease that fear as you reveal yourself and make yourself known in their life. And I pray that you would just bring people around them who know you, who are committed to following you. So I pray for those who are doing that. And I pray that you would just continue to keep that fire inside them burning so that they will not lose sight of the mission that you've given us here on earth as we wait for your return, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's holy name. And it's by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.